Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. It is Nick Bradley here, and welcome to today's show. So I have had some amazing guests, and I've heard some great stories. I've had the privilege to participate in many, many awesome conversations. But today's guest and her story by far is the most dramatic, thrilling, traumatic that I've ever heard on this show. I didn't expect it, (laughs) to be frank, and I was gripped the whole way through. And it's by far and away one of the most emotional stories that I've I've certainly had the privilege of, of participating in. Now, Quite often, I've had guests on which have challenged my thinking, maybe my, my values, different decisions I've made in my life. And often I leave those conversations with a huge amount of gratitude because even though I've had my own challenges, you know, I, I think sometimes you have to hear other people's challenges to put your own things in perspective. And the story that you're about to hear absolutely does that. So today's guest I'm delighted to have on the show is Alpha Mustafa. Now, Alpha is the founder and CEO of Najahi Events. And if you live in Dubai or the UAE, you might have actually been to some of her events because she's brought people like Tony Robbins to the region for the first time and, you know, loves to bring amazing thought leaders to the people of the UAE. But as much as we're going to get into that today, that's not really the topic. That's not really the thing you're going to get out of the show. What we are going to hear and I don't want to go too much into it to wreck it, but what we are going to hear is the incredible story of her escape. Yes, I said escape from Iraq and how that has turned her into the leader and the businesswoman that she is today. We're also going to hear about the incredible strength of her father and how she you know, literally had to take massive risks to be able to support him and her family And that led to an incredible amount of integrity around how she wanted to then shape the world underneath a purpose, if you like, that was uncovered through some very traumatic events. Okay, it's an an incredibly inspiring story. And what that has led to is that she is now 100% dedicated to providing accessible education to the world. And she does that through events. She also does that through digital and other platforms but as i said i've never had a story that that has so many twists and turns it could literally be a movie in its own right and i don't say that flippantly and it just shows you how strong and inspiring alpha is to be able to go through all of that and then build such a successful business so there we have it that's today's show you're gonna love this one (laughs) welcome to scale up your business alpha mustafa Hi everyone, it is Nick here. Welcome to the podcast for another week. I'm delighted to have with me today a very special guest and we're going to be talking about, oh God, I'm not sure what we're going to talk about. Lots of different things. We're going to talk about events. We're going to talk about transforming the world of education uh, and we're doing this as we sit here live in Dubai. So I'm sure we'll talk about the culture of Dubai as well. So um, Alpha, pleasure to have you on Scale Up Your Business. 
Thank you, Nick. Pleasure to be here. So we met through a mutual acquaintance, um, a gentleman by the name of Spencer Lodge, who has been on the podcast before as well. Um, let's start off with um, kind of, you know, how you ended up here in Dubai and, <laughs> and what you're doing here and those sort of things. It's a long story, Nick. How, how, where do I start? Well, we can go for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. So no, just, I mean, let, let's, the sentiment of kind of, you know, I'm here uh, with you this week talking about some really cool things, but, but I'd love to hear your, sort right. of your origin as to how you ended up here. So you know I'm from Baghdad, born in Iraq. Um, I was raised in London for at least, I think, 10 years. And then um, went back to Baghdad. After that, I traveled, uh, worked in New York, Canada, Jordan. Long story. I ended up in Dubai. I got a nice job with a nice people, nice company, where I started as in IT, in the IT world. But I loved Dubai so much. It just gave me the drive. And really and truly, it gave me like, I want to be here, but I want to be successful here as well, not just an employee here. So I did everything possible. I learned a lot. I read a lot. I traveled a lot. I attended many, many motivational events. Yeah. And I went back to Canada where I learned and worked a lot as well, attended events. In 2013, I had reached a, a place in my career, let's say the corporate ladder, yeah. where I was a director of projects and strategy for a really big company. Who was and that? Who I, was that? Aramex. Oh, okay. And then I was like, okay, I think I can slow down. I found a nice man. <laughs> we got married, had a child. And at that point, I said, you know what? I don't want to go back to the corporate world. I'm really inspired and motivated. And I, I love the world of, of learning, self-development. I traveled again to London after having my, my daughter. And it was at the Tony Robbins event 2015 when I said... You know, I'm, I'm just, I don't want to keep traveling. Why don't I just bring it to home? And, and that's when we, we contacted the Tony team and we said, okay, how can we bring Tony? And they laughed. They said, you haven't done this before. I'm like, no, I so haven't. So bringing, that's bringing Tony Robbins to here. To the, yeah, but um, wait, this is 2015, right? Yeah. And then I, they said, they laughed at me and they said, you've never done this before. Like, just slow down, slow down and, and take it baby steps. And that's what we did. I eventually, we partnered up my, my friend and I together to launch Najahi with the passion of simply just bringing what we have experienced, but we had to travel to experience and attending these seminars and these, um, looking at all these global, amazing human beings that transform people. Like for me, it was fantastic. I'd sit in a room and I look around me, and there are thousands of people being transformed altogether, me included, and we're just happy. And we walk out like we want to conquer the world. Yeah. But that wasn't there in the UAE. And frankly, um, we had to pay a lot of money. Like you pay your flights, your hotels, your accommodation, including the ticket fee to attend this, uh, these events. So. I thought, okay, if I bring it here, maybe I'll inspire people to attend these events without the additional costs of travel that I had to. And do. also, I suppose, to bring that type of, let's call it education and inspiration to the region. Which was never there. What was your first event? So obviously the 2015 one was quite seminal, but what was the first event you ever went to in this kind of motivation, mindset, personal development UPW. space? UPW. Oh, right. <laughs> which is the first one I went to, too. Yeah, UPW. Um, which London. one? In what year, approximately? 2014, I think. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, 13, 13, I used to travel with my friend and we'd be attending like smaller, smaller events. She was fascinated with property. So we had 
I used to go with her, look at property. It wasn't my thing. I never was interested in property, but without mentioning names because I don't want to look them up. No, no. But we didn't, we, I wasn't, she loved it and she honestly like went the property world. I loved the concept of transforming people, not only that one topic. I loved like the, the, the energy and the feeling that I had walking out of a motivational event. And that was my inspiration. So, so my, my first one was, I think it was 2018, and it was UPW. And no, it was in I Chicago. Was before, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were a few years before. But yeah. I, my, my thing was quite funny, and, and people who listen to the show know this as well, because I, I'd read a lot of Tony Robbins' books right. in the 2000s. Because a friend of mine, he retired, retired when he was 28 um, and made 65 million Australian dollars on an exit. And he was at university, he was like this crazy guy who just never went out with us. We'd go and play pool and drink or whatever else. He'd never go out. And he was, <laughs> he was studying Tony Robbins and these type of um, wow. mindset things. And then, you know, obviously that was his outcome. He was going, he achieved it. And I remember talking to him in 2017 and uh, he said, you've got to get to one of these events. And I remember getting out my, my credit card and paying for it thinking, I'm really going to pay a few thousand dollars. And then it was flights as well to okay. do this. But it was life changing. I had the same feeling the first time, like, oh, God, this is like a lot of money. Okay, my friend thinks it's a good idea. And I honestly did it just because I needed change. Yeah. When I first started, I, I did the books, watched the YouTube, and then, you know, you reach a point where, now what? And then somebody told me they run events, and I looked it up online, and this is fantastic. Yeah, I'd love to go, but ooh. It's yeah. pretty pricey, ooh. So the decision took time to to actually pay and travel. Cause, yeah, it's yeah. funny, isn't it? But then you look back afterwards and I think, I, actually, I can't say how much I've spent since because my wife will listen to this. But, um, <laughs> but it's a lot, right? But the return okay. on that investment, if I think about it in terms of if it's just a, a rational money return, is, is massively more than what I've ever invested. So. You see, I, I, I'm a person that doesn't like to buy things. You see, and look at me. I might. I don't wear a lot of jewelry. I'm not. I don't you look pretty go glamorous crazy. Though, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty. That's right. <laughs> no, I don't go crazy. Look, searching for brands. I spend money on experiences, whether yeah. that's learning experience or a travel experience with my family, because I believe experiences, the memories you make, and the, what you learn from travel and from the exposure to all these educators is is, is worthwhile. It's yeah. absolutely worthwhile. This is money well well spent. Yeah, no, I think so too. And I think Better a lot of things. people need to understand that a little bit more. Um, and what was it like growing up in Baghdad? What was, tell me about that. <laughs> um, so I grew, like I said, at the age of four, I went to London. My parents were working. My mother yeah. was studying. When I came back, I was in early teens, um, and it was difficult, really, because I came back when uh, they said that when the Iraq Iranian War had just ended. Baghdad was at its peak. It was lovely, beautiful. Then Saddam decided to invade uh, Kuwait. And my father's a big shot. Was 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 a big shot journalist. And he was. Um, they call them the Association of Journal Journalism in Baghdad. So yep. he was the head of the, that association. And his values were. His integrity didn't allow him, let's say, to write about. Oh, what a great achievement the government did by invading a neighbor. And that led to him being thrown in jail. And then everything oh, really? he owned was taken away. And it was, it was quite a horrible time. And you were, you were four at this stage? No, yeah. no, no. This is when we came back from the UK. So this right. is 19, uh, nine, so 1991. Wow. 
And I was in uni actually, and then I got pulled out of uni and had to, I didn't know what to do because we were not allowed to go back to uni and we were not allowed to even have this, an this income. This is just your family? My family, my my mum, my Because sisters. of your dad being a journalist and and not, not, not agreeing necessarily. Traitor. 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 And then he oh. ended up going to jail, tortured, tortured, like, to the point where he, when we, when I first saw him afterwards, I, I, it hurts me to talk about it. When I first saw him afterwards, he can't say his name. He can't write. He can't, he can't remember anything. Just from torture. Oh, my, this is horrific. My face, <laughs> people listening, my face is like, my mouth on this is horrific. Yeah. Um, in two and then and then we found somebody that was able to get me back into university, my sisters and I. Um, and then I speak very good English. I was studying computer science yeah. at that time. Um, so I was very good at database and coding, and I was quite quite good at that actually. And so the UN found me, and they offered me a job while in Baghdad, um, because I could translate. And I can speak the Iraqi dialect naturally, but I can also speak to the Westerners. And at that time, there was the oil for food deal running, which is a UN. The Iraq was under sanctions, so every sale of oil and every sale of food or agriculture would go via the UN. And then the proceedings would be distributed on the uh, to the people of Iraq. That was the deal. Um, so I had a very sensitive position where I was exposed to a lot of content, um, a lot of reports actually, confidential reports from the, from the UN. And so the Iraqi government wanted me to be a spy. They wanted to hire me, engage me to be a spy, which I ended up, of course, saying no. And then I had just got my father out of jail at that point. This is, we're talking 1995. Okay. So 1991, 1995, we just got him out of jail, finally. And then they said, we're going to put him back again, if you don't say yes. So I had to say yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> so this is, I mean, back, I, I just finished school, I think, in 91. Yeah. <laughs> and this is going to say, so your dad was initially, just to be clear, he was in jail for four years initially. Yeah, they, so we take him out a few days and then they throw him back in. Take back him out in. And back in. And it was just like every day, um, a scary day. You don't know what's going to happen today every single day. Eventually, um, I said, yes, okay. But what I did was very basic. I, you know, a report that I would be submitting to the government in two weeks, I just give them two weeks ahead. And I played that game for a while until they asked me to um, have an affair with somebody to get more information. No way. And no so, way. Yeah, it's so horrible. Eventually, I just, I, I, I didn't do it naturally, and I didn't tell my mom, I didn't tell my family, I didn't tell my dad, what do I tell him? He can't even speak, so that would kill him on the spot. And if I don't do it, he goes back in jail. And so I just played the game and I said, you know what, I'm sure, but not in Baghdad. Let's go somewhere else, because everybody knows me here. And they're like, yeah, okay. And um, that time, that was 1997. Okay. So I dragged along the spy thing for almost three years. I gave them documents two weeks before, and it was just, okay. 1997, they said, let's take it the next step. We, know, we want to know more about what the UN is thinking. So there was this one person that had a lot of information. They wanted me to like, do this affair with, and it was 
I convinced them that I don't do it in this country, let's do it in another place. So Jordan next door. We can't fly because there's no flying, there are no airports uh, in the 90s between, for Iraq, there was a no-fly zone. So we drove 14 hours all the way to Jordan. We arrived there five in the morning. I told them, yeah, not tonight, I'm tired. I took my passport, I took a document from the UN saying I am an employee, a UN employee, and this is my salary. They stamped it for me, nothing wrong there. Uh, in the morning, I walked out of the hotel, went to the U.S. Embassy, and I said, I have a business trip to the U.N. in New York. Can you give me a visa? And they said, yeah, okay. Stamp. Have you planned all this in advance? And, I mean, it obviously sounds like it. This is, not, this is very well orchestrated. Of course, yeah. And j- just before we go into that piece... Uh, I had to uh, run away. I, I, I get it. I, I'm, I'm still like, <laughs> I'm taking it in, right? <laughs> I mean, the story is incredible, right? I've, I've heard lots of people's different stories, right? This is, but just to be, I just want to go into the, the, the what they had on you, the, the hold they had on you. What was that actually like? Because, you know, they're asking you to do things in an escalating manner, right? And that's... This is my dad. And they're using your dad as the kind of piece. No, no, no. But what are these people like? I mean, like... Oh, they would, they would, they would. You'd be walking in the street and they'd park the car and drag you in the car and take you to a meeting. And then you sit there, you, I'm scared. I'm, I, was, I was in my tw- early 20s, you know. And you sit there and you're scared and you're like, what did they want from me? Was, it, was you this affecting your you sisters as well? Was it just you and your family that was affected in this way? So I tried to keep it away from my family. My sisters honestly did not know much about what was happening. My mom never knew till after I left the country. Uh, my dad never ever knew till the, even when he... I knew later, I'll tell you when we get to the story, when, when I finally ran away. Of course, I never came home, <laughs> so they're like, where is she? But um, no, it was mostly me. Mostly me, because I had that position, right? I had the access to the data. But I mean, how, how long were you, in inverted commas, a spy? How long, how long were you, you know, even providing information and things like that? Um, almost four years. And every, every day I expect that you're, you're thinking, you know, something else could happen here. Every day. Wow. Did you ever have to have any, I'm going to say the word therapy here, or anything after that, like a post-traumatic? That's why I started reading, and, and that's why I, I went wow. to all these events. It was, I, I needed, needed something. something. I, I knew I needed something to get me, like, um, I, didn't, I, can't, I can't afford Therapy at that time, I, we have no money. They, I, they took it all. <laughs> so there's no money. Even when I ran away, I ran away with no money at all. So it was really a so, so, the, so you've gone to the New York, uh, sorry, the U.S. Embassy to to get out, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's pick the story up again there. So how to, I mean, this this is incredible. They, they said to me, so that was in the morning. I put my passport. They said, yeah, okay, fine. You're an employee, obviously. You have all the documents. Your bank statement said, bank statement showed that I'm getting my salary from the UN. Everything was... And I said, okay, fine. Come back at 3 p.m. and pick up your passport. And I go, no. That I did not know. So I planned, I planned up to the point where I reached the embassy. But I didn't know what will happen after because I, I've never applied for a visa. Before. And you didn't, I take it you didn't have a passport. So from, from no, your that they gave me a passport. That's the beauty of it. I was not allowed a passport, but because they wanted me to finish the mission, right? They gave me a passport to leave Iraq 
and go to Jordan. To Jordan, yeah. Okay. So yeah. you had a passport and now you just need to get effectively a visa to get out of the country. To go to the US because my passport is Iraqi. And why the US? I, I had my sister living there. So okay. At that time, she had moved to America, married a gentleman who lives in the US, and then they, they left. So I didn't know anybody else around the world other than there. Where to go? <laughs> So, and so then this, the this UN, the UN connection with the UN. Yeah, no, I absolutely. The UN, and I can get a visa uh, to Manhattan, you know. And I, and I think from JFK. a human rights perspective as well, there's probably there's a, a sympathetic ear to some extent. <laughs> you know? But it's probably the. I'm just thinking again. I, I'm ignorant to the detail, but I'm thinking, you know, particularly with the Iraq and everything happening at that point in time, going to the US would sound like the worst place to go, but also the best place to go. Like you know, I, to the point where you wouldn't necessarily be able, be able to go back. At that point, the US did not really invade us. Or 2003 is when the Americans came into the Wasn't there Iraq. tension though? Starting there was to always tension because the US bombed Iraq after Iraq bombed Kuwait. Yes. So the, it's okay for me because my dad is in jail because of his values. Or not, he didn't want to write about that. So the US was a, to be honest, at that point, anywhere. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Anywhere. Okay. It was, the, I had, you know, they just can't be choosers. choosers. What, whoever gives me a, a visa to get out and run away is what I, what I took. So those, those, let's say, four to five hours between, you know, you turning up to horrible. the embassy and I now just, you're thinking, what, what did you do in those four to five hours? I just walked in the streets of Amman waiting to get my passport. At that time, they're looking for me, right? I was where, where, say, is she? I mean, where is she? Where oh, is she? They're wow. looking for me. And I took the risk because the, uh, my plan was I get my passport, never go back to the hotel ever again, and then find a place to stay one night and book a plane and go. I didn't even take suitcases or anything with me, but of course nothing goes as planned. At three o'clock, they give me my passport. And then I found, <laughs> I found a friend who told me, you need to go to the hotel right now, because now they started calling my mother and threatening, where is she, where is she, where is she? So I came back, but what they really wanted, they needed to go back to Baghdad right now because something happened in Baghdad, a bombing happened in Baghdad, and that UN guy needed to be in Baghdad right now. So they were not worried where I was. They were worried where I was just so we can all go back. And they put me in the car and took me back to Baghdad. So you didn't get out? No. Oh. <laughs> no. So you didn't get out? Oh, wow. So you're, you're thinking you're getting out, but they got, oh. Uh, no. So we went back, and my, though my biggest fear at that point is I have an American visa on my passport. If anybody sees that, I'm in jail with my dad. It was the terrifying moment. And so at the border, I put, um, I went to the bank in Jordan, so I, they, they said, we didn't have banks in Baghdad, so the UN would put our salaries in a bank in Jordan and then somebody transfers it to us. So I had just received a salary from the UN. I was only like $400. And I put $100 in the passport at the border. With the, at, and I looked at the guy and I said to him, of course, in Iraqi Arabic, whatever you do, take any money you want. Just don't say you've seen this visa. And he said, okay, take the money, stamp. I was in. <laughs> this is an, oh wow I'm still, I'm still in, I'm, this is an incredible story have you shared this story much no not much only maybe with Spencer's podcast before but not, not much no, it's I just I mean like in, in terms of it. some of the stuff we'll talk about today as well I mean, I'm sure the story's still going but um, it makes a lot more sense as to what you're doing and why now so my the suggestion reasons. my suggestion would be the story needs to be shared more because it, can, it makes everything else you do more congruent 
but it makes sense. I'm yeah. conscious that people don't know what that is really yet, so we'll get into it. But um, so keep going with the story because this is still incredible. So you went back to Baghdad, you got through the passport situation cleverly. Yeah. Um, you must be really worried at this point in time. I was so upset yeah. because now, I mean, but um, the big worry was that the the visa that I had would expire in three months. So you have three months to enter the U.S., otherwise you need to apply for a new visa. So now I'm on a clock. I need to get out before this ends because how the hell am I going to get another one? And so now me, I started asking them, so when are we going to go? <laughs> is, this, is this mission this, uh, yeah, where's, the, where's this guy that I'm supposed to go and where, meet, yeah, pretty much? Yeah, where is he? Are you going to put my dad in jail? No, no, no. So but the time came, I, I took a few, a couple of months actually, like, and that was quite risky when my visa's going to expire, but then they said, okay, you can go now. Let's go do the mission now. So, thank God, visa's still valid. Um, but this time, I told my mum that, uh, mum, I'm not coming back. She's like, what? I'm not coming back. I'm not telling you why, but whoever asks you, just say, I have no idea. I didn't want to tell them because I didn't want them to be in trouble. Because if they knew and they would lie, they'd be in much more trouble. Got it. And so, yeah, we did it. We got out of the, across the borders. We went, we arrived the same time, 5 a.m. But now I have my visa. 5 a.m. in the morning, I walked out of the hotel straight to the airport on a JFK, on a flight to JFK. And I landed 14 hours later in the U.S. And they weren't tracking. That was my escape. I mean, that, just to unpack this a bit. So... They must have trusted you to some extent, because like, you know, why wouldn't they have someone... For four years, I've been doing what they tell me. Yeah, I mean, like in terms of even just like walking, you know, if you leave the hotel, someone's not escorting you sort of stuff. So they were asleep, because they've been driving for 14 hours. So you just walk straight out. And and no one... The hotel didn't know where And had you already... Did you buy the flight at the airport, or had you already pre-booked the flight? Um, I, at that point, I had a friend who left Baghdad to Jordan. Yeah. Secretly, I told her, buy me the flight, and she bought it for me. We're still in a good relationship, she and I. I bet you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you are. Yeah. That's like a, that's a, that's she a friend. Bought it for, she never took the money either. Oh. oh. But what a, what a thing. And then so you got out, and yeah. uh, let's just go into that part of the story. D- did you, well, I assume you've been back since. To- yeah, so I got out. They got my dad. Uh, they, of course, they found out the next morning, where is she? ran away. Nobody knew where I am. I went to the called home and home went to my house. Put my dad back in jail for three days just to twist my arm to come back. And then the, my mom really told him, I have no idea. And they told her, well, your daughter is a traitor. She left the country and now she has, um, she's treason and she has to, my punishment was execution. Can you imagine? I can't, I can't fathom <laughs> most of this conversation, to be honest, but um, and then execution. I reached my sister's house. She lived in New Jersey at the time. And after three days, they let my dad go because there was no point. And he called me. And that moment, he told me, um, I know what you did. And I know why. And you did the right thing. And I would go to jail a million years for you or a thousand years for you. That you did the right thing, you honored me. And oh, I will wow. do this. Yeah. And I cried and cried at that time. And it's such a lesson. 
So anyways, that was my escape. Wow. <laughs> he never went back to jail after that. So, so do you think that they sort of turned their attention to you at that point? You know, and you, they cause, did. Because I was, was going to say, your, your situation, the, you know, the execution thing, that's incredible. They I wanna, did. I they go tried into that to find me uh, everywhere. And, um, so, you were, so your dad was like, you know, well, he's not that important anymore <laughs> <laughs> in, in terms of you yeah. know, incarceration. So, so did, he, did he then, I mean, what was, just to draw on him for a second, what was his life like after that experience? Did he go back to doing much again? I mean, or was he just no, traumatized? He, 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 he couldn't. From the torture, he was, it was done. He can't walk properly. He couldn't uh, write. He was barely speaking. Um, he had very early dementia because of what they did. They put his head into a machine and they squeezed the sides. What, like some sort of medieval thing? Yeah. And oh they crushed the cell, the, the, they, they would crush the brain. You're, oh my God. And so a lot of his memory was, like, he can barely speak. So he was almost paralyzed, barely speaks. So, but he did live. My mom took very good care of him. She became a nurse and provider. My mom's a pharmacist. She has a PhD and, uh, sorry, a master's degree and early PhD in, in um, immunology. Okay. And so when I left, my mom opened up a few pharmacies in Baghdad, and that was what, we li what they lived on. But then she stopped when my dad's situation got really, really bad, and they had no income. So I took it on myself that, okay, this is, I have to provide now. Um, I did get, eventually get a, an interview and a job with the UN in Manhattan, which they offered me, and then the, but they said, where do you want to go? Because I have to change my visa from a visit visa to a G4 visa. Yeah. And I said, where do you want to go? You can go to Canada or you can go to Jordan, paid for two weeks. And I'm like, Jordan, because I was in my head, maybe, maybe my mom would come or somebody I know would come from Baghdad. I thought you would say Canada. <laughs> nope. Well, the thing that's ringing in my ears is the execution thing here. This exactly. Time. I, 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 was, I, I had nothing to lose. Yeah, you know, I had I had no family I mean, of my own, um, no money to lose really, oh, and and the guilt of what I did yeah. to protect myself. But my family is still without jobs, without money, and you know, barely surviving. So, so I went to Jordan, and in Jordan, apparently they said, you know, you can't you can't expect us to give you a a green card in four in two weeks. This is a six-month thing, and I'm like, are you kidding me? I, they only gave me money for two weeks. What am I supposed to do the rest of the time? <laughs> and so I, 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 I went. I, there's a university where um, the hotel was, um, and there was an internet cafe. They didn't have internet at home at that time, okay. so there was an internet cafe. Um, I type very fast. And um, I graduated with really high grades from the university. So I met with the students and I said, I'd write your reports, your graduation reports, give me money. And I went to the internet cafe and I said, I profit share with you 50-50, give me a machine because I don't have money to buy a computer or, or a printer. So I rented the space on profit share. I do projects for the students and I pay him. And I was making good money. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, a, that's a nice entrepreneurial <laughs> sort of side I had to side make money. Hustle. I mean, I can, I can beg or I can work. Yeah. And so that's what I did. And, um, and I actually was enjoying myself. I made friends and I changed my name. 
My name is Said Awfa, but my last name is Awfa Mustafa Muhammad Abdul Latif Al Hashimi. This is my real name, but I changed it just to start Mustafa, so nobody can track me. The family name. The right. Arabs have family names. We go by family names. I'm so glad that I didn't pronounce the full name. <laughs> uh, us Australians aren't very good at that, so we stay with Alpha. But um, so I want to kind of go into the, the they're looking for you piece, if yeah. we can. They kept looking for me. They How knew, long did that they last? They found out I was in Georgia. The Americans came back and oh, the American embassy came back and said, here's your visa. It's ready. That was four weeks after. And I'm thinking, I don't want to go. I hated America, by the way. I hated the world of the fast pace of Manhattan. Yes, okay. I can understand that. I, I couldn't. Manhattan's it was, like. It's scary for it's me. Very, it's very. It's like a microcosm, really, of, you know, lots of things. Like, yeah. I always find that even New York is a different place versus the rest of America. But I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, but, so I, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't like it. I, was, I preferred to stay home. Yeah. Which was a little tiny little apartment, a studio apartment that I found near the university. And, but I made nice friends and I was finally settling down with the hopes of um, bringing my family. I was making enough money to send even back to Baghdad to help my family. So with the currency exchange difference, it meant a lot for them. Um, but there's a problem, which is uh, my visa, my visa visa was going to expire. So I started applying for real jobs just so I can get a sponsored visa. And that's when I found Aramex. And, and, and I applied, it was a job for a web content web designer. Very entry, entry, entry level. But and I, I you, take finished, it. you finished your degree at the computer science degree. Yeah. So okay. So you had some. So some I applied as for the IT department. They hired me. Oh dear. They hired me for the marketing department, which is quite odd. But I take it. I, yeah. I take anything, you know. I can see. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the day, the, the first day was the last day of my visa. So my visa would expire the next day and I'd be illegal in Jordan. And then that was, the day before that was the first day um, in, with Aramex in my job. And, and I went to the HR and I said, I need to talk to the owner of this company. She's like, you are at an entry level. Are you really serious? You want to talk to the founder and the CEO? And I said, yes. Why? Said, because he, him and I, I need to know who I work for. And there are other reasons I need to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> she laughed and she called him and she said, Fadi, his name is Fadi Randur. Fadi, this girl wants to, she's starting now, but she's, she's funny. She wants to meet you. Do you want to meet her? He said, yeah, bring her up. I'm interested to see what she has to oh, say. Oh, this is great. I love it. <laughs> and I went upstairs, big boardroom. I've never seen a boardroom in my life, okay, from Baghdad, right? I've seen the UN boardrooms with, with the microphones, but never a corporate boardroom. I never like it was pretty it was airy it was light it was fancy it was everything you want a nice boardroom to look like and i walked in and i remember thinking what the hell did i do <laughs> i just want to run away now but he walked in and said so your name is ofa yes they tell me you won't start the job without talking to me <laughs> i like no that's not how i meant it to be um but i Eventually, I told him that, look, I'm from Baghdad. This is my story. I told him the story. He's one of the very early people that knew my story. And there are people looking for me. And if you think that this me being in your company is going to jeopardize you, your business, and the people, then I'm going to walk away. Wow. 
because it could. No, I get it. No, it's just it's it's a very yeah. And the fact that you thought all that through as well. But I think of like because why? Because whatever every action that I did before impacted the other people. It impacted my mom. It impacted my dad. So I didn't want to walk into a place who welcomed me and now offered me a job. And now my situation would impact them negatively as well. So I'm done with hurting people because I have mm. to run away. That's where it came from. So I, I needed to tell them, your choice now. If you want to walk this journey with me, I'll work my ex off. Got it. <laughs> but I will, I will not work unless you understand everything and, and know everything about me. So he actually picked up the phone and said, why are you in marketing when your background is IT? I said, yeah, that's what your HR gave me. And he's like, okay, why is this your salary? Okay, you get more money. He gave me a higher salary, which was fantastic. Not much higher, but a little bit higher, which I was like, yes, I'll take it. Uh, and then he said, um, from now on, your visa will be under me. And he was the financial uh, and economy advisor for the king. Apparently, I did not know. So he gave me royal protection that nobody can come to me unless it goes to the royal court of Jordan. So, so I was automatically protected uh, by the Jordanian government. That's amazing. I mean, one conversation, I'm still just taking all sins, so just bear <laughs> with me as that. So I was e even though, you know, the, the Iraqi side of things, but if and what I'm what I'm trying to get around in my head here is, would they care about some sort of royal decree? They they do right. So that there is there is a, there is the some sort of now. So if they need me, it has to be embassy to embassy. It makes it much more complicated. So that that didn't just give you a job; it gave you security, security yeah. to some extent, freedom because now you're not looking over your shoulder when you walk down the street. They also called all the so he has many branches in Jordan and Dubai. They had sixty four branches when I left in the world, um, 164 actually when I left, and they told anybody that calls and asks for a person called Ofa, Ofa Mustafa, Ofa, we don't have such an employee, no. And what, a, somebody, what, a, what a man He's as amazing, well. I swear. Because, <laughs> you know, Lesson. a lesser person might have said, you know what, this is too hard, this is too difficult, I don't need this. I don't know, need I'm this trying to grow a company, no. I'm trying to do this, I don't need this sort of... He, he, the human person, uh, the human fadi is different than the business fadi. Business fadi is a shrewd businessman. Human fadi is one of the most amazing people I have met in my life until now. I mean, I owe him my, my, I'm my, what, what, my safety, where I am today, where my family is today is just because of that action, that, that well, you, you kind also, action. But you also being brave enough to have the conversation, right? Because you could have not had that conversation. You could have taken the job and stayed in there and you know how you know it's, it's interesting when you get these pivot points right where you know what would have happened if that hadn't happened you know would you have you know been gotten so to speak by but know. i believe you i mean it's integrity at the end of the day if, if, you, if you give if you give good to the world the world will give you good yeah give back and and I was I you know I, at that time honestly if he had said no go away I'd go find another job how long did you stay at the company for? Oh man, a long time. And what um what position did you did you reach in that company? A director of projects, a global director of projects oh, wow. um, out of Dubai. So from Jordan, I started entry level IT, and then I worked I worked for this person 
not for the money, just for gratitude and gratefulness. And, and yeah. he, he's a person that deserves his team to be with him and by him and grow his company for him, with him. Um, so we, I am, until 2003, so that, that was 1999, by the way. Now we've reached 1999 when Fadi gave me the job and things calmed down. Um, but Saddam was still in power. In 2003, the regime collapsed. No more Saddam. That was out of, completely out of jail. So even from 1999 to 2003, every day they would find a reason to pull him in and just try to find me. They can't keep him in for long, but they pull him in for question, and he can't yeah, even and that's speak. Still, yeah, exactly. That's still going to be tormenting, speak. isn't it? Yes. And his health deteriorated, and it was really tormenting that I can't help. I can send money. And the, the only way I was able to help was keep providing, being the provider. And that kept them, for me, and they were able to you know, live a nice, decent life. 2003, the regime collapsed. I went to Fadi. <laughs> Fadi, I need to go to Baghdad. He's like, you're crazy. So no, no, I do, I do. I need to go to Baghdad. So okay, go. As in to live? No, to see my family. Just to see your family. Had you yes. seen your family at all in this time? No. So that's what, four years? Uh, that's no. When, when I ran away, I went to New York. Oh, so going back that far. So that that's far, yeah. Seven so or eight it's years. like seven, eight years, yeah. Wow. And so I said, I need to go. And he said, just wait a few months. So that was in um, the invasion the, was, I think, in October. He said, just wait a few months. Maybe things calm down. Things didn't calm down. 2004, things didn't calm down. Al Qaeda came in at that time. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to go. Okay, fine. Let's make it an excuse then. Here, take a few boxes of Aramex and he said, talk to the operations. Let's make it like you're going to Aramex uh, Baghdad. Because there was a branch of Aramex in Baghdad. I said, okay, whatever. I just want to go. So I took my car. It had a few boxes in the back, empty, nothing, nothing, nothing major, nothing for clients. Just like, and I'm going to Baghdad for Aramex. And at the border, the guy looked at me and said, you're really going to drive. Because remember, there's no flights, so we're driving. So I go from Amman to Traibil, which is the border, and then from Traibil to Baghdad. And if you look at the map, it's a long, long drive. And, and I'm there, and he's like, you're really doing this? And I'm like, yep. You don't, is it crazy? Baghdad, there's no government. It's chaos. And yeah, I have to see my father. He's like, okay, do one thing. When you reach Fallujah, if... Your car breaks down, switch off all the lights and everything. Don't even smoke a cigarette. I didn't smoke. Don't even smoke a cigarette. No lights. And pray to God the Americans come before Al-Qaeda comes. I'm like kidding. He's like, yep. He was trying to scare me, but for some reason he told me this. And I drive and yep, the car breaks down in Fallujah. Stops working. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> This is, this is, this is, this is, you couldn't write this as a novel or a movie, honestly, it's like a script. Um, and I did what he told me, and I thank God that, I thank God he told me this, because I would have been like switching on the lights and trying to start the engine. He said, for any reason, don't even try to start the engine, just, just stay. I'll wait for morning to come. And in the morning, longest night of my life, I swear, never had the worst night. In the morning, the Americans came with their machine guns and they're like, what are you doing here? And peace. 
I'm, I just want to go to Baghdad. I just want to see my father. And the, they were in the Marines. And they couldn't believe it. They searched my car and everything. They stole packages from Aramex. They said, what is this? I said, I work for Aramex. I was just going to take packages with me. Show us your ID. I showed them my ID, Aramex ID. And I said, you're really doing this, right? You just did this. Uh, yeah. And I hear them on the radio. Now they took me out of my car. They're searching. They're searching everything. And I hear them on the radio. They're saying, she just wants to go see her dad. <laughs> And they're laughing. They're laughing. I had no weapons. I had nothing. And then nicely, they towed the car and they escorted me to my mum's house. And just to be clear here, just for people listening as well, in Baghdad at this time, so a few or four, three or four months post, you know, bombings and whatever else. I mean, is this like a war-torn city at this point? It's a civil war. We had a so, car, you know, a bomb killing people, explosions happening everywhere. So, so, and there's know, no government, no police, no army. Wow. There was no government, because they dismantled the government, right? So there was not, there's nothing, right? And you're going into a war zone. And I'm going into just because, you know, it was a good thing. There was nothing, so I can now see my dad without being hung or executed. No, but you can get shot. <laughs> I can, I can. <laughs> blown up or something else, but... I, I didn't okay. think of it like that. No, no. See, no I, I, just, I just needed to finally see with my own eyes how... My mom and dad were. Okay, I understand that. And so they escorted me to my mum's apartment. At that time, we got a small apartment, and I finally saw them. My, of course, you, see, you should see my mum's face. She opens the door, and I have two Marines behind me and me smiling. And she's like, what? <laughs> How? She thought that they arrested me or something. She didn't know I was coming because there, there's no internet, no telephones, there's no means of communication. So when she opens the door and sees me, she didn't, she didn't even know I was going to be there. But me being there with Marines in the back, that was like more scary for her. Oh, and she's like, come in, what is happening? My poor mom. Eventually I saw my dad and I made the decision that I need to take them out of Baghdad right now. Um, the Americans are really nice were really nice to me, um, and they, they made a few phone calls. My car was the no-go. There was no way I'm going to go back driving this thing. They sold it and gave me the money. I gave the mon money to my, my mum. And they put me on a plane, a literary plane, out back to Jordan. My own government didn't do this for me. It's incredible. You see, my own government, my own people did not do this to me. I'm not saying America is great, or it's, I'm, not, I'm not going to talk about politics, but the people that I dealt with on the ground, the, 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 men, that, and the men and women that were, were, like, I dealt with on the ground, they were very, very kind to me, and very kind to my family as well. Regardless of, of their mandate or our mandate, but humans are humans, that's what I realized. When you're human to human, regardless of your background or your job, you will help someone in need. And I, and I found that, like I touched it personally, and they helped me, they helped me get out. They helped my, they also protected the house for a while, the apartment for a while, just to make sure my mom and dad are okay. So I go back to Jordan and I say, Fadi, <laughs> I need to bring my mom and dad. And he said, like, I can't help you there. And, and that's when I decided to come to Dubai because Dubai was offering visas to Iraqis in 2004. Jordan did not. So I moved to Dubai in 2004 
again another entry job with Aramex and this time it was like logistics which I had no clue what I'm doing but it's fine I learned I wherever they put me I'll learn I'll do it I'll, just, I'll take whatever you give me and I was able to get visas for my mom and dad in 2004 in, in April they moved here I'm finally safe wow wow <laughs> So we've been talking for 45 minutes. Oh, dear. No, 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 it's fine. No, 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 no. There's no, there's no, there's no timeline on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've got a heap of questions now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's one of the most incredible stories. It's certainly, I'm thinking about all the conversations I've had on this show. That's one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard, ever. But certainly, I don't think I've had anything like that on this program before. But every person in Baghdad would have a story. From my generation. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure... Like after ISIS, people from uh, Mosul would have a ton of stories as well. And now in Afghanistan, they'd have a ton. We grew up in a world where, where our governments were not as smart as the government here in the UAE, let's say. And our, our politics played a big role in our lives. And we can live today or die tomorrow. Seriously, we reached a point where if you go out you would say goodbye to everybody because you don't know if you're going to come back today for lunch. No. What, I, what, I, what I want to ask, I think, you know, uh, after all, that is, if you're looking back in hindsight, there's a lot of things, I'm sure, but what are the lessons, right, for you? you know, what, what did you learn through that experience? And more importantly, I think, is what have you taken from that in a positive way to what you're doing now? It was hard to be positive. For a very long time. It yes. was hard to take this and say, I'm going to be positive. But I, I tell it now and it sounds like a story, but living it every single day, living the fear. Living mm, no, I, I, I got a sense of when you, when you were telling the story, I can see, I can't, I can't appreciate what it was like for me, but I can see every, you know, those years of looking over your shoulder, as I said beforehand. You just have to, I, I was always talking to myself and saying, nothing lasts forever. I can do this. I used to mentor myself. I can right. do this. Um, there's a purpose, and at, at one point in my life, I was quite religious, but I took, I took away the values of religion, which is like, believe in a greater good, believe in, in a purpose, that sometimes things happen for a reason. But I always told myself, okay, it'll pass, this will pass. Every time something happens, it's a pass, let's just keep going. And, you, and at, at some point, you are not in a planning mode. You are just in a like, reactive mode. You just need to fix something so you don't think. Then you look back and say, did I do the right thing? But I did it. It was done. Would I do it better? Probably. But when you're at a point where you have to make a decision right now, you, a, a decision is better than no decision, by the way. You have a plan, and it's a, it's a starting point to deviate from, but have a plan. It's, that's me always. Have a plan. If something goes wrong, we'll fix it, but have a plan. But, oh, but the one thing that I did come out is um, human, relationships with human beings are quite valuable. And your family is, is key. That's why I really appreciate my family today very much. But also, um, never judge. Because I could have judged... Um, Americans, all of them invading my country. Yeah. But look how nice they are when, when, I, when, when I was in need. And the same time, the person at the border, right, he could have just told me, okay, go. But he wanted to stop me. He wanted to advise me. I think God, the universe, asked 
made him say this to me so I know what to expect. Fadi Rendur coming into my life, right? So he, he could have said, go away, leave. So that's what, what I do right now. Is the, and I chose to be in this field, in this business, because I needed, at the beginning, I really just needed help. <laughs> I just needed help. So books were my therapy. Um, going, watching inspirational um, clips on YouTube was my therapy. Um, talking to very intellectual people was my therapy. I never made really good friends uh, growing up or during that phase because I was in a different level. Can you can understand that people are worried about, like, what are we going to have for dinner? Which restaurant we're going to? Which is a normal life. Yes. I, it's normal life. I don't blame it, but I'm just thinking, all right, I need to send $300 tomorrow to Baghdad and I need to make that happen. And I don't, I have $75 in my pocket right now. So how am I going to do this? How am I going to live tonight? You know, I used to spend five JDs a day on food and transportation. So I would walk half the time. And then the, the remaining where I can afford to put two JDs, I would take a taxi just enough for two JDs because then I have with three JDs, I have to buy a sandwich to eat. That's how yeah, I think like that. And so I learned to appreciate everything that I have, but I also needed help. I needed help. So I can be a very negative, vindictive, aggressive maybe person. I, would, I could turn into that person that hated, hates the world and commit suicide. Yeah. <laughs> or I can find a way to turn this all around and, and save myself how and then eventually know, save my family. How did you know where to turn then? So, so obviously going in, um, having some, um, you know, thinking more about personal developments and, and all of that is a great path. We've talked about that at the beginning. How did you know that? Well, what was the inspiration to go that path as opposed to, you know, we talk therapy or others or you know, other things you could have done? Well, first of all, it was the only thing affordable to me. Okay. But then it was, it was you read, a, um, I found one book and it was a silly one, by the way. It was Who Moved My Cheese? Oh, yeah, that's a great book. I remember, <laughs> I yeah, yeah, that's it. a good book. But it's the smallest one. <laughs> yeah. But that's the first one I all read. about change, yeah. It's all about change, Who Moved My and And that from then I started... Um, getting excited about, uh, I didn't put that book down, it's a small one. And I, I couldn't afford books, so I would go and find friends who have books and I'd borrow and give it back to them, something like that. But So I read whatever was available. <laughs> and I read it, and I had no TV, so it was fine. So I'd read a book a week, and then finally we got internet, and I would watch Inspirational, and this, this is when I found that I enjoy this world way more than a night out in the cinemas with, 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 with my friends. I, don't get me wrong, I love being with my friends, but I would, a, a, it saves a lot of money, and B, it was... Well, it's also, it it's also having an impact on you in a different changing. way. And because they don't understand. So there was no way I can talk about this. How do I explain it to people? They would not understand. I, in my head, I thought nobody would understand what I'm going through. So I just, just I didn't want to talk about it. So no, and, I'd and, go and, in my and, own world. No, I can get that. And, all, and also, it's, you know, it opens up a lot of questions, doesn't it? You know, and, and then you have to go deeper into it. And I'm, as I, said, I'd be, I said, I'd be nice to you on this conversation. No, but but it's, a, it's been 20 years, and now I'm talking about it. I've, I'd never talked about it before. There, but there are, there are many, even just from what we spoke about today, though, there are many lessons in that that I think would help lots of people. 
you know, they may not have gone through exactly what you went through in the way that you went through it, but they went through similar things, right? It doesn't have to be just in your country. But, you know, to your point beforehand, a lot of people don't know how to get out of that. Yeah. And, and they go through a negative pattern, That's you know, true. it could be alcohol, drugs, whatever. Um, and That's they're constantly true. searching. True. But you I didn't. Did. You know, didn't. And, and, and to sort I of didn't. take it to where... Take it to where we are today to some extent and what you do. So, because we haven't really gone into that. We've talked around it <laughs> today. But, you know, you, you run these amazing experiences and events, you know, here in the UAE, bringing um, some of the most amazing speakers and thought leaders in the world to this part of the world. Right. And the instigation of that, I now know, didn't come from UPW. It came from probably what you went through, right. self-education. <laughs> it did, it did. But that's why a play, an event like UPW impacted me a lot. Like, yes, I can see. There millions of, like, I think millions of people attended UPW. In that hall itself, there were like 3,000 people. But I believe every single person that goes to these events walks out with an experience that related to them and what they've been through. To me, mm. it was... I felt a lot of liberation from UPW. I never walked on fire. Do you want to know why? Yeah, I do. Why? I've done it twice now. <laughs> I, I never did. I never did. Because walking on fire, it's, and with all respect, everybody should go through something, um, and walk, the experience of walking on fire. But to me, I've already walked on so many fires. Yeah. I've walked all of that. I don't need to prove to myself that I can walk on fire. I've just, I've walked through bullets. I mean, well, no, I, and also the reason for doing the fire walk is to, is to face fear, right? That's the point of it, right? And <laughs> it's, there's, I can see why it's a bit flippant to say I'm going to walk, you know, 10 meters across what aren't really that hot coals, right? It's um, hot coals, yeah. But, you know, they're sort of lukewarm coals, no, they're hot. But versus, you know, driving into Baghdad, as you said. And there's Al-Qaeda to your left and the American Marine to your right. There's so no, much weird serendipity in, your, in the way you've said this. You know, as I said, sliding doors or things that could have happened a different way. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's uncanny how right. many points within the story it could have gone really wrong. I've always believed that I have a guardian angel. Yeah, I, I think I really, that. I feel like I have a guardian angel. I, hello. So honestly, sometimes when I walk into the, a room, I would say hello, just in case you're there. Thank you for keeping me safe. I don't know who you are. <laughs> I would talk to that person or that angel. But it sounds crazy, <sighs> but I feel like I don't think I've it's crazy because I think, I think it comes back to, um, there's a couple of things that I, I believe, which is kind of what you said, a lot of things that happen to you, you know, happen for you, the whole Tony Robbins piece, because they make you who you are and how you adapt them is right. a very powerful thing. But the other piece is um, I, I, I believe in purpose and I believe, um, as I said, I've mentioned before, serendipity to some extent. I believe there is fate that happens at certain points, right? right. And, and people challenge that because bad things happen to people in the world where you would argue that shouldn't have happened, like young kids die and all those sort of things. But how where's that work? But I, I find that, you know, say if I look back on my experiences, things have fallen into place in hindsight, not in the day, not in the time. Like mm. Certainly it wouldn't have felt like that time for you. But then you look back and go, hold on, there's, there's something weird happening here. It is, it's very true. It may take 10 years, it may take 20 years, but then you'll go back and say, now I get it. Yeah. Now I get it. Exactly, exactly. And there's a bit of faith. I mean, one of my, when I went to UP, when I went to Date with Destiny, actually, at the very end of that, uh, they make you do this thing where you have to come up with a bit of a mantra. 
right? And um, the whole experience is building up to that. And I, I created something. She was in the shower on the last day. It's like six days of pain, you know, you're doing something. And it's um, be grateful, be brave, have faith and show up. Because I had to say that multiple times on the last day to ingrain it in yourself. That's how you do it. And that's become, I close the show out with that sometimes. Wow. But there are four things that I think define how I want to be, right? So I want to be grateful for everything I've got. Um, I want to have faith, you know, I want to be brave in my decision making. I want to have faith that, you know what, even if it feels uncomfortable, it's going to work out okay in the end, right? And then showing up is just how you take action every day to make those things work. I think I did all of that in my life wow. without, without you saying it, but it's, but it's true. Yeah. But I, I think this just confirms that what, what you do when you're closing off your events, you say this to people that they should listen to it because it's so true. You have to be grateful. No matter what happens, you need to be grateful. I'm grateful for everything, yeah. every single day. I actually wake up in the morning and I say a prayer, like, thank you, God, for everything. Thank you, I'm alive. Thank you, my family is okay. Thank you for this blessed day. And then I get out of bed and start my day. Mm, this is lovely. how I start my morning. And then you said, um, be grateful, be brave. Yep. You have to be brave. Because no one's going to make the decisions for you. And the hardest decisions are the ones that define your destiny, by the way. Yeah. The easy ones don't. The hardest ones are what makes you who you are. He said, be grateful, be brave. Have faith. You have faith. Goes with brave. You got to have faith. And then show up. And showing up, some people shy. See, I don't show up on stage because I'm very shy. I need to, I need that fear. I need to break and you're start gonna, appearing you're gonna on stage. You're going to have to do more I'm going to tell you, you've got, you've got a TEDx talk in this. You've got a whole heap of things. I think you've got to get the story out, but we can talk about that after we solve. So I don't show up on stage, but I show up every single time I am needed. Yeah. I never, never walk away from confrontation. If I'm wrong, I admit it. Never blame. Just fix it. Go ahead, fix it. There's no ego. If, if something went wrong, fine. Okay, if things go wrong, we're not, we're not God. We make mistakes, fix it. And show up and, sh and have faith and trust. And, and I would add trust the people around you because sometimes, <sighs> sometimes they need to feel that you trust them, especially when you have a team. Yeah. You have to give them that trust. That's my, my thing. <laughs> okay, so what, what we'll do, I think, let's, um, let's finish up by talking about what you're doing now. And let's talk a little bit about this because I think um, the context now makes a lot more sense, actually. <laughs> so for let's me as talk well. about why we started Najahi, right? <laughs> well, I think I, I understand why you started Najahi. I, can, I think we've got that, right? I think it's, you know, what's next in this? So one of the things that we're talking about while we're here this week uh, it's a new project, actually. Well, it's a new project. You've been working on it for some time, but it's how do you take um, all the great things that happen when you go to an experience like Najahi puts on or the big events like Tony Robbins puts on around the world, all of that, and how do you start to make that more scalable and how do you take that out to the world in a different way? Right. Um, so do you want to talk about that quickly? Because I think it's, I think it's very, very quickly. It's, a, it's still in concept phase right now. With them. So we launched version one. It's called IQ. So IQ is an online learning platform. We've put a few, we've asked our content creators, our speakers, our thought leaders to go to studios and they filmed what they would have done on stage and put it online. And that's because during COVID there were no stages, right? Yes. So we had to ask them to just put it online and it's, we built a subscription method and we launched it out in the UAE. It's doing wonderful. The next stage to this is, is media, it's TV. 
because we can t we can make it more powerful, more accessible, um, and more impactful. Let's say if we take it out of a studio, it's my opinion, and yes. we can take it out of a studio and create a very impactful mini movie or a series uh, that people now can watch just like they watched Netflix. So when COVID hit, people went to to TV. They binged watched everything that's on Netflix and. The, the content was entertaining, but probably not not impactful or useful for their careers, their lives, and it was just some of them just said, "I just wasted four hours of my life just watching something." Everyone was on furlough, watching, yeah, binge watching. Binge watching. So I, I thought, if, if people have the ability to binge watch, why can't they binge learn? Okay, I like that. Binge learn. Okay, good. Why don't they binge nice. learn. And then the IQ was being built, and in that sense, we're working with your team right now, and we're bringing the concept of binge learning on TV, but in a nice, fun, impactful, and easy, easy yeah. to absorb way. I think what's interesting about it, and um, and I've only been involved for a small amount of time, but um, the if you think about the conversation we've just had, right, which could easily be turned into a mini movie right mm -hmm. there's a lot of lessons in that there's you know, they don't even have to be spelt out you know they don't have to be sort of bullet pointed on a set of slides right there's a lot of you know, if someone listened to that and they heard that message at the right time for them right whatever they're going through that could make a big difference in their lives right it could then instigate right a different direction for them totally it's so like, I think it's like if you like I said you go to a Tony Robbins event every single person is are, is at a different stage in their life the way they perceive the learning that they get from that event is really relevant to where they are in their life. Same if they watched an impactful movie. Where they are, that's how they will be impacted. And sometimes you can watch it one time, two times, three times in different stages of your life. It's like reading a book. If you read um, Unleash the Power, the Tony Robbins, yeah. I've read it multiple times throughout the years, and every time it, it hits me different because I have a different need at that yes, phase yes. of my life. I, what I want to create is content of, uh, that, that you can watch on your TV, on your smart TV, that you can watch over and over and over again, just like you're reading a book over and over and over again. So I've, it's funny, actually. I've watched um, the Tony Robbins documentary, I Am Not Your Guru. Yeah. Multiple times. I can't mm. even tell you how many times I've watched it. Yeah. Right. And I watch it. The, the, the reasons that I do that is, A, I learn something new each time because there's a lot of stuff that goes on in that sort of 90 minutes or whatever it right. is. But the other thing also is there might have been something, to your point exactly, there might have been something happening where I feel like I need to watch it, right? Because I leave after watching it with a different feeling True. that might help me you know, go through something challenging or make me think of something a bit differently. Sure. So, so I can see that. I can see why that audio-visual experience can be complementary to reading or other things, or for the right person at the right time can be the most powerful way of right. getting it through. We also want to contact authors and, and ask them to talk about why they wrote these, the books that made yeah. businessmen businessmen, let's say. Like they, 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 there are books out there that have impacted many lives. And we want to be in touch with these authors and get them in front and of a camera it. and showcase it. And, that would be fun. So what I think, what, I, what I'll do as, the, as, we, as I said, we end this, um, watch this space for what's being created here, anyone listening to this. And if you have got a message 
that you think is relevant. Um, you know, you've written a book. You know, you've you've already you're already in this journey that we're talking about, and you think it's inspiring, and you'd like to engage more in what we're trying to create here. Then get in touch as well. Yeah, I mean, we're looking to looking to build this out. But um, incredible. <laughs> and you've got to tell. I'm going to keep saying. You've got to tell your story more. Um, Thank you, Nick. Just incredible. Um, so, if people want to reach out to you, um, Alpha, and say that was amazing, oh, <laughs> or anything like that, do you, do you do you let people like send you emails? Absolutely. Or, yeah. Absolutely. So, where can they reach you? My email is Alpha. That's A W F A at Najahi and A J A H I dot com. You're going to get inundated now. <laughs> I'll make sure or that we, Instagram. They can find me on Instagram. I will we'll put um, links like that into the into the notes. And sure. Stuff like that. Sure. Um, but wow, thank you so much. I knew we'd have a great conversation. You were like, oh, I don't know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> well, I, this has been one of the more powerful. I, oh. I'm trying to think back over over two and a half years of doing this now, and this is one of the more powerful conversations we've ever had on this show. So, thank you. I appreciate thank you, you giving the time. It's been great. I appreciate you. Thank you. And there you have it, another episode of Scale Up Your Business. Thank you very much for listening. And if you haven't yet, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help the show become even better. And while you're there, make sure you hit that subscribe button to help you on your scale up journey. Now, perhaps you're thinking of growing and scaling your business. Perhaps now is the time. If that's you, then please check out suyb.global. That's where we have all of our programs, including the Growth Accelerator Partnership, the Maximize Value Partnership, all of our services, and of course, coaching and mentoring. Once again, be grateful, be brave, have faith, and show up. Until next time.